further ado. All right, Jay, thank you. Hey, well, we've been doing a series where we explore uh, the gap between what we believe and how we live. It's not... Oh, it's... ...do going on. It, was, it just fell off. So we've been exploring in this series the uh, gap between what we believe and how we live, or what we, uh, what we believe God has for us and what we experience. And then that, you know, that gap is sort of like an accordion throughout our lives. But for most of us, it's, it's further apart than we wish it was. And so today we're going to talk about the subject of prayer. And that's probably a sore point for, for many people. Because nobody prays as much as they, they think they should. Because people, uh, right, we, we know that prayer is something that's good. It's something that's important. It's something that's, that's life-changing and difference-making. Yet, if I polled anybody randomly or all of us together, you would see everyone says the same thing. I don't know why I don't pray more. And so I just have, a, I have modest ambitions today that I want to help you get started and sustain just a simple prayer life. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, took his disciples' question, Lord, teach us to pray, and he gave them just a simple little lesson. And, and there's a couple of points in there. I think there, there are lots of reasons why we don't pray I'm going to just talk about three of them and show you how Jesus addressed them in his remarks here. So if you have a Bible with you, open it to Luke chapter 11. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, there are paperback Bibles. I thought there was one up here, but I guess there's not. Oh, here we go. Uh, they look like this. And uh, Luke 11 is page 800. It's a race. Uh, 721. At least it is in this version. Anybody else have a different version out there with a different number? Okay, good. We, we, we tried to get all of them the same edition, but sometimes some slip through there. So let's read these verses, starting at verse 1, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into the, the uh, questions we have and why we don't pray. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them in in reply, when you pray, say this, Father, holy be your name or hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we Also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not to temptation, and then uh, and deliver us from the evil one. Some of the some of the manuscripts say that. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you, and he's going to tell them a parable now to, to follow up on this little model he gave them. Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, 
Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed with me. Oh, I'm glad times have changed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Now, let me add something here. These, I'm going to repeat this, uh, the way it's written and then the way that it, it's literally written because the, the Greek grammar is hard to, to translate. So the way that, that it's translated here is, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be open. That's not exactly what it says. It says, everyone who keeps asking receives, and everyone who keeps seeking will find, and everyone who keeps knocking, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we need for you to teach us how to pray the way that you taught your disciples in the way that, uh, a way, a simple way, Lord, that we could get started in our prayer lives and sustain a simple prayer life, a daily prayer life. We just ask for your wisdom and, and not just wisdom and insight, but grace to apply what we hear today. In the name of Jesus, Father, we ask this. Amen. So, there's, I think there's lots of reasons why People struggle with praying. I'm going to give you three, and then we'll look and see how each of these are, are, are uh, addressed in what Jesus said. We don't, a lot of times, we don't pray because we don't know where to start. How do you start praying? Where do you start? Secondly, we don't pray a lot of times because we're just overwhelmed by life. Life is so pressuring us that we, don't, we can't seem to find time or energy or whatever to pray. Third, we find it difficult, if we finally push through and start praying, we find it difficult to concentrate on prayer, right? Like your mind's just busy, and you try to concentrate on praying and talking to God, and then your mind goes all over the place. Well, where, we, where do you start when you pray? Well, Jesus tells us the best place to start is to start by focusing on God himself. And what he says here is... Like, this is, this is the thing. If you can't remember anything else I've said today, if you get this, your prayer life will be different if you just get this one point. If you want to start and sustain a simple, consistent prayer life that, that makes a difference, you focus on God first. So, so Jesus says, focus on God as your Father. Because He's holy. And that word holy means separate and above. And the Jewish people understood that better that word better than we do because we throw the word holy around and you know like most words they have a semantic range but they don't necessarily uh, fall the, the way we hear them used isn't necessarily very well aligned with what the Bible's saying and so you look at it and go what does it mean that God's holy it means God's separate from us and above us in in the most perfectly conceivable way 
that God is good in a way that no one you've ever encountered is good. God is more powerful than anyone or anything you've ever seen because the most powerful thing you could ever imagine in the world was made by God that exists because he allowed this, this universe and all of creation to exist. God is loving like no one we've ever imagined. God is just and righteous. He's generous. He's merciful and faithful. I mean, every quality that we as human beings value and admire and, and respect and, and, and look up to and hold in the highest esteem, God embodies those to an infinite degree. And so, not only is God like that impersonally, but God is our Father. Now, at the beginning of this passage, Jesus talks about God as Father. At the end, he ends talking about God as Father. And all the way through this, he's trying to get across an idea, which to the Jewish people was, they, they had some vague grasp of it. Because twice in the Old Testament, in all the writings of the, of the Law and the Prophets, God is mentioned as Father twice. But people just didn't talk to God like he was their father. They talked to him like he was their, their creator and maker of all things. And they knew he was good and they knew he was merciful and kind. But it was hard for them to conceive of him as their father in that familial way that, that they experienced in their homes. But Jesus came along and he talked to God as his father. And he said, I want you to talk to God as your father because that's what he's like. He is your father in heaven. And, and in, in a pinch, our relationships determine our lives and, and our responses and reactions. And our family plays a special role in our lives. And our family and our family ties direct our lives in very unique ways. They, they give us a certain identity in the world. And, and Jesus is saying, when you start praying, call to mind who God is and that he is your father. And what that does is, right off the bat, when you start thinking about that, you can take any of those qualities I just said and just ponder one of them and think, God is just. Because sometimes you look at the world around you and you see some gross injustice and go, this sucks. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> this is a terrible situation. <laughs> right? And, it's a, and it just, oh, you just get so angry at it. And you think, why does it have to be this way? And the truth is, that's, that's an instinct that's inside you that's God-given that people who don't believe in God, have, they have to borrow it from us. They say they don't believe in God. But they don't have a moral basis for a sense of injustice if there's no purpose in the world. You understand? If there's no purpose to the world, then why be angry about the way anything is? just doesn't matter. It doesn't. There's no basis for it unless there's a purpose to this world. And then, as C.S. Lewis said, these desires and these instincts that, that call for something that we haven't seen before, they point us towards God to find our satisfaction in Him. 
And Jesus affirms those, and he says, those instincts and desires that you have for justice or for beauty or for love or for generosity, for whatever, they find their perfect fulfillment only in God who is your Father. He is your Father. And so Jesus says when we do that, what, what that does is that our, our hearts just lose a sense of bearing in the world around us. The world is very disorienting. It's confusing. And what, when you begin to pray like this, what it does is it begins to sort of point your arrow, the compass of your soul, to magnetic north. And it positions you to childlikeness. It positions your heart to be childlike. See, prayer is a posture of childlikeness. It's saying, God, I need you. I depend on you. And it's a battle to assume that posture because all of us have these habits of self-reliance And not all of them are bad, but when they become, when we think we can ultimately be self-reliant, we are on a journey to real pain. We're on a journey to disaster. We're going over a cliff. And one of the things prayer does, and that's why it makes it so hard, because one thing I'll tell you about prayer is, when you start meddling with prayer, you get into this world below the surface of your soul and of reality that's there all the time. And it is very challenging and overwhelming. And and a lot of times it's like all of us, most of us have a closet in our house where when people suddenly show up, they pull up in the driveway or you get a call, I'm right around the corner. (laughs) We just put everything in that closet real quick, right? And If possible, you would lock that closet door because you don't want anyone to innocently open the door and find out what you just stuffed in there. I mean, there's there's Thanksgiving carcasses in there. (laughs) You open the door and it's like a biological plague just, you know, pours out of the room. But our souls have one of those closets and we fill them up all the time. We just get busy and we push stuff in there. And when you pray, you open that door. And, and a lot of times that's why we don't pray. Because we don't, God says, you're created. If I'm the perfect father, what better way could I create you than to be my children? People ask me all the time, why did God make things the way they are? It couldn't be made any better than this. We're the ones that muck it up. God's a father. He wants us to depend on him because he will never let us down. We'll let each other down, right and left. But God won't. And so when you start with that posture in prayer, do you understand how all of a sudden that changes everything? Because instead of prayer being this, as I said the last couple of weeks, something that, oh, it's an obligation, it's a burden, I gotta do it or I'll feel guilty. When you start thinking of who God is and who you're, beginning to address and draw close to, all of a sudden you start realizing, wow, this is such a good deal. God's my father, and he's inviting me to recognize who he is 
and to come before him in childlike dependence. Now, everything that God calls us to do, here's the strange thing about what God calls us to do. It absolutely fits the design of who we are. But because we live in a fallen world, it's viewed negatively. So it fits us, but prayer has a branding problem. And being childlike has a branding problem. We tend to look at prayer, if we pray consistently, in a, in a negative light. There, there is something about it that we don't want to be childlike. We don't want to be dependent. We want to be independent. Because then we can be in control. Then we can just live and, under that illusion that, I, you know... I can take care of myself. Everything's in its place, and it's not. It never works that way. That's an illusion. You know, as, as it's often been said, control is an illusion. The kind of control that we're trying to achieve. All right? My belt is giving me a measure of control over my pants here. There, there is control going on, but it's not absolute. Nothing is absolute except for God. And we can't manipulate our world to make it work the way we want. We're not the center of it. We're in this beautiful, amazing world that God's made. And he's trying to help us to find our place in it. He's trying to help us to be the gift that he made us to be to the world. But to do that, we've got to relate to him first. Because we, we can only know what we're like and who we are. Our identity can only be secured in relationship to other people. We only find out who we are in relationship. There isn't some abstract knowledge that we can tap into that says this is who you are. We find out who we are by relationship, by dialogue. Great thinkers have pondered this and have observed this. And so we, if we want to figure out who we're supposed to be in the world, we've got to start with God as our Father and we're His children. And then the unique person He's made each of us to be begins to emerge. I mean, isn't that your hope? That someone would figure out what a special person you are? I don't think a lot of us even know what a special person we are. And you're not going to be able to figure it out whatever way you've chosen, unless the, the heart of that pursuit of trying to figure out who you are is connecting with God your Father, who, who is the only one who really knows you and really has you figured out and understands you and delights in you and is totally behind you, and he's willing to bring all of his resources to be behind you and to help you flourish and become the person he wants you to be. That's what we're doing every time we pray. We're tapping into that. Now, you may not go into prayer with that in mind. Do you understand? But that's the heart of what God's trying to get you to do. And the second, so if we don't know where to start, you start focusing on God as your father, and you're his child, and you're you're, you're coming before him in childlike dependence. The second, I think, reason why a lot of times we don't pray is we're overwhelmed by life. And Jesus takes that little, that little prayer that people call the Lord's Prayer, and I think it's been misnamed. Uh, it's really our prayer, because he gave it to them. And he said, start with the Father and acknowledge who he is and submit your will to him. Because praying for his kingdom to come, we'll talk about that more another time, but we've talked about it a lot here. Then he talks about, ask God for provision, ask God for forgiveness, 
and ask God for protection. I mean, that covers a lot of ground right there. And many times people have told me, I'm so overwhelmed by my life, I, don't even, I can't even pray. Well, what I want to encourage you to do is that's right where you start. Which one of the things that typically overwhelms you doesn't fall under this category? Or the, one of these three categories? The provision I need in my life, mistakes and sins I've committed, or other people have committed against me and the trouble that that brings, or third, protection in my life, especially spiritual protection. I mean, think of anything that concerns you, anything that keeps you up at night. Does it, doesn't it fall under one of those three categories? And it, whatever, as, as a wise man went, told me, if you want your bike to go forward, you push down on the pedal that's up. And so sometimes when we're full of, of anxiety or we're in doubt or you feel guilty or whatever is preoccupying us, start right there. Bring that to God. If it matters to you, it matters to him. And you may think, I don't get very much mileage with that, John. I talk to him about it, and nothing happens. Okay, refer back to he who asks, receives, he who seeks, finds, he who knocks, and keeps on knocking, keeps on asking, keeps on seeking. I'll get into why you have to do that in a second. But we need to persevere as we pray. And what we said last week was, when you're full of anxiety about one of those things, you tell God your story. You tell him what's going on and how you feel about it and how you're, you're coming to believe something about your life as a result of what's going on. Because your circumstances will try to tell you something about who you are, about who God is, and it's not always true. And so when you bring that to God, and you begin to wrestle with that matter before Him, and you may think, I just want this to be done with. But you understand, that's not how it works. You may want it to be done with like that, but that's making you at the center of the world. And that's also ignoring the fact that you need to spend time before God. You need to connect with Him. Because God is not your errand boy. Do you understand? And that's how you're treating Him. You're not being a child coming before Him. My kids, I have some kids in their 30s now, down in their 20s. And they'll come to me at points, and they'll just start pouring this stuff out. What's going on? And it's just crazy jumble of stuff. And they just, they, they're, they're going through something, and they want to tell me about it. But they have no order to it. It's just, but I, as they're talking to me and I'm listening, it's like you can, you can hear their voice changing. You can, they're getting perspective. And, and they don't have it totally figured out, but just the conversation they're having with me starts bringing order to their world. And I'm not God. I get confused about that, I admit it at times. (laughs) But the way this works, and again, prayer, the the vertical prayer is like this horizontal relationship we can have with people that care about us. And as we tell our story and the frustrations and the confusion and the anger and all that stuff, and we dialogue with God, our world starts ordering. 
we get start getting perspective. I'll show you in a second about how that, uh, an example in, where David was confused about something and, he, and how prayer changed his perspective. And if we, Jesus said that this is supposed to be a form of prayer that we practice, this simple little model on a consistent basis. It's not very complicated, is it? You start with God. Then you start with your problem, whatever is pressing you. And you communicate that to God, and then God starts sorting it out. And even if it doesn't immediately get fixed or resolved, the peace that you get by continually putting that in his hands and dialoguing with him and having someone who listens to you and cares about you and is in your corner is an inestimable value. And prayer has the potential for just changing our lives. But it's something we have to begin to invest in. And and it it doesn't require a great investment. As you can see, this doesn't require hours and hours and hours. Now, it may, the the thing about time is, don't try to pray a certain amount of time. That's missing the idea of what prayer is. Prayer is where you're trying to connect with God, not fill in time on your schedule. God isn't looking for you to do that. He's looking for you to connect with him. And it's possible that you can really connect with him. Uh, When we find it difficult to concentrate on prayer, this reflects a a, a deep theological truth that the world is a fallen place, and so are we. See, in a perfect world, when our children come to us with some concern or need, we wouldn't be distracted about by our stuff. We would just care about them. When our friends come to talk to us because something's really going on in their life, we wouldn't make excuses on why we can't meet with them. We wouldn't, when we see their caller ID number, ignore them and keep watching the Kardashians. And I'm sorry if I picked on you because you watched the Kardashians. Nothing nothing intended. Uh, But we, we all have these little petty distractions. And if we stopped and thought of the times where we were calling someone... And we really needed to get through to them and they didn't listen to us or they didn't respond to us. And not that every time it's it's some selfish little uh, oversight because there are people do have full lives and sometimes they can't answer a call or can't do something because they have a legitimate responsibility. But, you know, we've all experienced both sides of this, right? We've all been on both sides of that. And in a fallen world, that's going to happen. And inside us, the busyness that goes on is, is much a reflection of the fallenness inside us and our lack of inclination and orientation towards God as it is of anything else. Do you get that? This world, it, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Years ago, there was a movie called The Grand Canyon. It's, it's famous because we showed the clip here. Uh, uh, at church, uh, replete with all the F-words, the F-bombs in it. That I don't know why I didn't hear it when I, when I previewed it. And we pre- previewed it before the service, and then we watched it, and I saw, I saw people just go, <gasps> <gasps> It's a wonderful movie, and, and they weren't using the language, you know, gratuitously. It was just the way people talk. 
But, but people are a little like, some of you live in a nice little sheltered world, and they don't use those kinds of words. <laughs> and I could tell because you were going... <laughs> anyway, several people told me afterwards, maybe we could have found a better choice of movie clips <laughs> to make the point. I appreciate that. We haven't shown it since. So I'm going to tell you about the scene... And I'm going to edit out those words so I don't have to have that experience afterwards again. <laughs> in the story, this guy is going to a Lakers game. And if you've ever been to Los Angeles, the, uh, where the Lakers plays in not the best part of town, his car breaks down. And as he's waiting for someone to come, this gang of young urban toughs comes towards him. And obviously they're going to rob him. And right when they're starting to, like, assault him, Danny Glover, who's, who plays a uh, tow truck driver, and he's one of the key characters in the movie, he pulls up, and he sees what's going on, and he gets out, and uh, he has this little negotiation and dialogue with these, this group of young urban uh, toughs, and... Uh, Steve, what's his name? Steve, uh, Steve Martin is the guy with the BMW who's standing there with a broken down car, totally scared out of his wits about what might happen to him. And, but Danny Glover has this profound theological discussion with this gang leader. And basically what he says is, listen, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This guy, oh, oh because Danny was hooking this, he pulled this tow truck up and he just figured, I'm just going to do the right thing and deal with it. He starts putting the guy's car up on his tow truck because he didn't have to figure out, he didn't have to have any dialogue to figure out what's going on. And so the guy says, hey, you can't, the, the gang guy says, hey, you can't do that. You know, uh, like this is our car now. And he, and he just keeps going on his way. And finally the guy kind of gets up in his face and, and, he, and he just realizes I got to respond wisely. And he says, listen, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Do you understand? Uh, this guy's supposed to be able to have his car break down and not be threatened, his life threatened, or his, his property taken. And I'm supposed to be able to do my job without having to negotiate with you to help this man. You see, this is not the way things are supposed to be. The world is not supposed to work this way. And he was making this profound observation that... that Poets and philosophers and housewives and tow truck drivers have all noticed that things aren't working the way they're supposed to. So when you pray, inside your head, everything's going haywire and going off when you're trying to pray and connect with God. That's normal. Do you understand? I don't mean it's the right, it's the right way. So, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean that it's supposed to be that way. I'm just saying that's the way it is. That's not something that you're going to be able to ever not deal with. It's going to be something you're going to have to wrestle with. If you're going to pray, you're going to wrestle with a, a busy mind. But if you press through it, if you press through the way things are when they're not supposed to be that way, you come into the way things are supposed to be. You begin to experience God as He is and His grace and His truth and His love and it begins to be real to you. But you have to press through something that oftentimes distracts us 
and detours us on to some responsibility. And I learned a long time ago, when I pray a lot of times, I keep a pen and paper next to me because I'll think of all these things that I have to do when I'm praying. And I am ADD on crack. I'll be praying and be praying and I'll, and I'll think of something and I'll just get up and go and Kathy will hear the saw in the garage. And she'll go, weren't you just in the basement praying? Yeah, I just remembered I had to do something. Yeah, I had to build a cabinet. <laughs> That's the way it works. And so I just write it down. Finish prayer, build cabinet. And I don't, and it can be more subtle things like finish, worry about daughter after finishing prayer, <laughs> right? Uh, make phone call after finishing prayer. I just write those things down, and then I go do them. And I, I'm, I've, sometimes it's spiritual warfare. Uh, sometimes entering into prayer is in, entering into the war of the worlds. And the enemy suggests things I need to do, and so I just write them down. I've got to do that. <laughs> Thank you. I would have forgotten that. I just don't go do it anymore. I just write it down now. And my life then is, is a life where I'm not reacting, but I'm responding. You understand? I'm able to know. I know what I'm supposed to do now because I've got my perspective from God first. My, my magnetic, my, my needle is oriented towards magnetic north. I have a better, clear idea of things. In Psalm 73, get to the end here. David said this. At a certain point in his life, he was going through a difficult time. And let's see, Psalm 73, 13. He said, at a certain point, he was praying and he said, surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. In vain, I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been plagued and I've been punished every morning. So he's saying, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. I've been trying to do the right thing, and everybody around me is getting ahead but me. And I'm not only not getting ahead, I'm getting punished. I'm, I'm going backwards. And he's praying, and he's talking to God about this, okay? And this is a prayer that we're supposed to pray, because we've all had this kind of realization at some point in our life when we're trying to do the right thing, and, and we're not getting ahead. And he says, uh, oh, I lost my place, sorry, okay. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children, God. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. It was frustrating and confusing. When he tried to make sense of why the world, which is not the way it's supposed to be, is that way, and how to figure out which end is up, he said, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. And see, when you... When you're wrestling with these thoughts, and then you pray, and you get into God's presence, all of a sudden, the dust settles, and you get perspective in a way that you can't get it any other way. Even wise counsel, many times, cannot give you that perspective that you get if you're willing to press through the mental, you know, jangle and craziness that's in your head and you press into God's presence and into his peace, it's like the dust settles and you get perspective, okay? But it won't happen unless you do this. It won't happen. You can ask your friends, what do you think about this? And they can give you the, the very counsel that God would give you, but when you hear it from him, it does something different for you than when you hear it from people. 
uh, oftentimes. So, if this is how we get started in a consistent prayer life, remind me. You start with God, you focus on Him, and you assume a posture of childlike dependence on Him. Right? Second, when you're concerned about problems, those can become launching pads for prayer. You start where your problems are. God will meet you there. Don't put them in that closet and close the door. Bring them out because they're banging on the door trying to get out. And a lot of times at night, that's why you can't sleep. A lot of times when you've got aches and pains and things in your body, you've internalized pressures and things and you put them in that closet. And God says, bring them out. Listen to your heart. Listen to your body. It's, it's screaming something at you. There's a ticker tape, you know, below the television screen that's, that's your body that's saying, you're stressed out. Pay attention to that and bring that to me. Even if you can't sort it out initially, you keep bringing it to him and he will show you. I promise you. He always does. And then last of all, you have to persevere through that until you get into God's presence And at some point, you'll get the answer to your prayers that you're seeking. And at the end of this, the last thing that that Jesus said was, just to remind you, he said, the Father gives good gifts to us, and he will give us the Holy Spirit if we ask him. And what he's saying is, and he's bringing into this little section the theology of prayer and how prayer works. And what he's saying is, When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit, when we have a relationship with God through Jesus, the Holy Spirit can help us to pray and to sort through things before God in a way that we can't do it on our own without His help. So we pray to the Father, through and in the name of Jesus, and with the help of the Holy Spirit. God Himself... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in our lives intimately. The thing is, we can't get to God, our Father, even though He is our Father, unless we come to Him through His Son. And we have to experience being born again by His Spirit, by faith in Jesus, to have more than a hope that God will send rain on us like He does on everybody. See, the Bible says that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, God's merciful to everybody. But not everybody is his children in the sense that they're his children by the second birth. And they can stand before him without guilt. And they can be confident that they can ask of him everything that is in their heart's desire. Because, I mean, just think about it. People might think, well, you mean God doesn't care about these people that aren't his children? Well, he cares about them, but he's given each of us dignity and worth and value and free will and, and the gift that our choices make a significant impact on the world. And if we don't want to recognize that our choices, are, when they are sinful and selfish, they're destructive, and we don't want to resolve that before God who made us, then we can't say, God, I want everything that your children would have, even though I don't want to live like one of your children. And I don't want to respect you and live for you except you do things on my terms. That would be irresponsible of God to to enable that kind of thinking and behavior. We wouldn't do that with our children. I mean, many of us have had children who've, who've grown up and gone through 
you know, stretches of their life where they go off the, the rails a bit. And we wrestle with, how do I show my child love but not enable this self-destructive behavior? Right? And we'll just apply that to the situation God's in. God will not make us do anything because that, that robs us of our significance and, and our, uh, our, who we are as human beings that he's made. So the, the hope that we have is that God wants a relationship with us through his son Jesus. And that when we believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us to help us to know who Jesus is and what he did for us and to be able to live the life that he lived because Jesus... He nailed this life. That's probably a good way of putting it. It it has all kinds of meanings there. Jesus nailed this life. And we get a chance after we've utterly failed in this life, if we believe in him, to have him come and live inside us by his spirit to be able to live this life again with different resources, with the right direction, with the right heart, with God involved in our lives. And we can live differently. We won't live it perfectly, but we will live it differently for following him. And this whole thing about prayer is at the heart of that. So what I want to ask you to do is to go home with this and think about this and pray about this. And say, God, help me to start with you every day. Like tomorrow morning. Uh, in fact, let's stand up and let's just pray for a minute. Tomorrow morning, I want to ask you to do this. Do these three things. Take that little Lord's Prayer part. And start by focusing on God as your Heavenly Father and talk to Him and say out loud those things about God that at that moment come to your mind that, are, that describe Him as He is, as you, as you know Him. And dwell on that and thank Him for that and thank Him that he, as your Father, He is that kind of a father to you. And then just, con- just express to him, I want to be your child. I want to I cultivate this posture of dependence on you. I depend on you, God. And I want your way and not my way. It's been my way and not your way, but I want your way and not my way anymore. And it isn't that our way isn't always his way. But the problem is, is we always want our way first. And we need to realize his way, if we go his way, it'll always take care of our way, and it'll, but it'll always take care of other people too. And so you, you, you start there. Secondly, then you take in that Lord's Prayer, what of those three things do you feel the most press pressure around? Is it provision? Is it some sin you've committed or some problem in relationships? Or is it like you feel like something in your life is, like there's some, you're the target of some kind of trouble. It's following you around. And that's in the Lord's Prayer. A lot of us just dismiss the the spiritual evil dimension of the world. Jesus says, you should be praying about that as much as you're praying about your daily provision. Because it is just as big a problem to you as money or relationships. And sometimes money problems and relationship problems are spiritual warfare problems. And so Jesus says, take it seriously and, and begin to seek me about this and I'll give you clarity on it. And then persevere through the busy mind season of, of prayer 
until you connect with him. And don't put a timetable on it. In the beginning, you're not going to be really that good at it. It's like anything. But the more you pray and talk to God, the more free you get and the more relaxed you get and the more at ease you get and the more just who you are comes out. Because most of us pray in the beginning the way we hear other people pray. You know what I mean? And if you've ever heard those, our Father and our God kind of prayers, and you try to pray that, you immediately go, that feels really weird. <laughs> I, can't, I can't talk to you like this, God, when I'm alone. <laughs> Even though at church, that's the way they pray when they get up front. <laughs> you know, my kids come in and talk to me just the way they are. God wants us to talk to him that way, but we tend to posture because we have to posture in the world. And so God, Jesus reminds us right off the bat, God's your father. He knows. He knows what color underwear you have right now. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything about your life. So just talk to him about that. But we don't realize how much we posture, and so we posture before God. But if you keep praying, you start dropping a little more of that posturing, a little more, and then pretty soon you're connecting from your heart. You'll be surprised sometimes what comes out of your mouth as you pray, these deep, just big things that are inside you. And, and when they come out, you just sometimes people will tell me, they just start crying and go, I didn't even know I felt like that. But our Father in Heaven knows that, and He wants to come before you every day and give you this opportunity to experience that. And that your life will get recentered on Him. Wouldn't that be good if you could do that? Now, last thing about this is, when Jesus said this, he said, when you pray, and he didn't say, Jay, when you pray, what he was saying, Jay, when you and Rick and Eric and Brandon, Cassandra, and all of you pray, he he was talking about a community of prayer. Again, this is this community thing. We tend to think about this on our own, but we need to be a part of a community that's all going the same direction. We're all trying to do this. We're all in it for each other. And when you pray, when Jay prays, because I know he does this, he prays for you guys. He doesn't just pray for himself. He does pray for himself and his issues, but he also prays for you. That's that's the kind of prayer that gets us through the lives that, that we face that are so challenging. They're so challenging. Now, I want to pray, just brief prayer. Uh, In Zechariah 10, there's an Old Testament promise. It's always hard to find these books in the Old Testament, these little, the minor prophets. I would have, uh, I should have had a bookmark there. Zephaniah, Zechariah, there we go. Okay. He says, it's one of the prophetic promises God gives through the Messiah. He says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, which is the church, a spirit of grace and supplication. It's a promise. It's a gospel promise. That if you struggle in prayer, God gives each of you who ask the Holy Spirit to help you to pray. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the Holy Spirit's the spirit of sonship and adoption. The Spirit helps us to, to know that we're children of God. That we're not just like ginning it up and trying to convince ourselves that we are, that it's, it's something that comes from outside us and says, you're a child of God. It's a gift of grace. 
So I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to just hold your hands out right now. And Father, we come before you as your children. We want to respond to your word in this last moment here together. We ask that you'd give us the spirit you promised through the prophet Zechariah, that you promised through your son Jesus and, and through the apostles and through your word from beginning to end. Give us the spirit of grace and prayer. Holy Spirit, come now on each of us and release into our lives grace to pray. Be our teacher. Be our confidant. Be our be our prayer companion. And bring to our hearts that we are sons and daughters of God. And that God is our Father. Just make that real to us. And I pray for each person here today, that sometime today or tomorrow morning or Tuesday or Wednesday, this week, Lord, that each of them would just, since you're drawing them and you're wooing them into this relationship, that they can experience in prayer. And bring them together with others this week to pray. Even if just for a moment, on the phone, or in sitting in a car, Lord, or before they go to bed at night, praying with their children. We, we ask that the spirit of prayer would be on this church to a new measure. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to help us become a 